We talked the other day about the Illinois assault weapons ban, and a constitutional law professor, David Schultz, said he thinks it passes the muster. But one of our listeners said maybe you should ask somebody who's studied these issues and feels differently. Crime Prevention Research Center founder Dr. John Lott is on a line. He's held research and teaching positions at various academic institutions, including the University of Chicago and Yale University. He served as a senior advisor for research and statistics in the Trump administration. And he joins us now on WGN. John, thanks for saying hi. How are you today? Doing great. Great to talk to you. Um, I just wanted to, as I did with my guest the other day, read from a, a Chicago Sun-Times summary that said Illinois Attorney General Kwame Raoul last Thursday filed a brief defending Illinois' assault weapons ban, arguing that the weapon, weapons restricted by the newly enacted law are not commonly used for self-defense and that large-capacity magazines and accessories are not arms. If we have a right to bear arms... The question is, which arms do we have a right to bear? You can't carry a bazooka around. And the weapons that we're talking about today were not common then. So therein lies maybe a legal hook. What do you think about that, Doc? Well, I mean, I guess I have two views on it. One is, uh, in terms of public safety, uh, this law will do nothing to make people safer. Their guns banned on very arbitrary type reasons, yeah, but uh, you know, the but if I may, but that's not the point, but that's not the point. The point is, uh, I'm going to get to the, I'm going to get to the other. I just want to <clears throat> just look with regard to the Bruin decision this last year, uh, by the Supreme court, they essentially have a historical test. You go and you see what the second amendment says. Yeah. Uh, if that's not clear, you go look at the legislative debate and if that doesn't satisfy it, you go in to look to see what laws were in effect in either 1791 or 1868, uh, when the 14th Amendment to the Constitution, which incorporated the Bill of Rights to the states, uh, were passed. And I think it's pretty clear uh, you don't have any, any possible analogies in terms of laws that were in effect back in either of those two periods in terms of these types of bans. This is a fairly new phenomenon in terms of these types of bans. I mean, the federal one went into effect in 1994, uh, was there for 10 years, um, had no beneficial impact. You have a few states that had something before that, Excuse but not me, but, by but many years. I hate to keep cutting you off, but I'm a little surprised to hear you say that. In that 10 years that you did have the federal ban, in fact, gun crimes went down dramatically. At least the chart I saw showed that not only did they go down, but when that lapsed, they went right back up. No? Okay. Look, there's one source. Uh, look, there are lots of people who put together data on things like mass public shootings. Uh, there's one person who has his own charts, which is what Biden cites all the time and now the media uses, uh, by a guy named Louis uh, Clarivas, who's at the Teachers College at Columbia. Uh, and uh, he... Uh, That's a bad so most, source? Well, I mean, I'm just saying he's unique in terms of how he defines things. Because normally what happens, if you look at the FBI definition of mass public shoots, is four more people killed in a public place, not involving some other type of crime like a robbery or a gang fight over drug turf. Clarivas 
sometimes includes drug fights that are going on, but he includes it inconsistently and arbitrarily, and he includes them in such a way as to get the types of changes that you're talking about. But even if you use his numbers, what you want to do is you want to look to see what happens to assaults with assault weapons, because that's presumably what the effect's going to be, rather than looking at total mass public shootings. And if you look at his, even his numbers, mm-hmm. okay, which again are unique, but even his numbers in, and look at his definition of assault weapons, uh, there's no change uh, when the assault weapons ban went into effect. And the percentage of attacks involving assault weapons actually went up during the assault weapons ban and then fell afterwards. The only way you can claim that a ban on assault weapons drove the changes in mass public shootings as opposed to something else driving it, is that if when the ban went into effect, the percentage of attacks with assault weapons fell, and then when the assault weapons ban sunset, that it increased. And that's the exact, what happened is the exact opposite okay, let's, of what let, anybody who would... Are, Dr. Lau, I appreciate that. No, no, fair enough. I appreciate your educating us on that. I do remember that, in fact, his numbers included Columbine. And even if you factored them into his numbers, the numbers still went down during the ban and up afterwards. But No, I'm not just but, saying Columbine. But, I mean, Columbine is fine. What I'm was saying in that is period, he also let's, includes... Let's, let's just, let's, he also, no, you make a statement. I want to respond. He, okay, but the but clock is ticking. Includes, Don't waste your time because this, we want to talk about the Illinois law. But go ahead and finish your thought. But the thing is, not just Columbine, he includes gang fights, okay, which nobody else does, but he doesn't include them all the time. He doesn't include them in the period before 94. So so the problem is, but the main thing is what happens to the attacks with assault weapons, and that moves in the opposite direction. Fair enough. I'll, I'll, I'll take that. And now let's just talk about two things in the Illinois law that seem to be critical to the viability of this case. One is they said that if we do have a right to bear arms, arms are one thing, but accessories like large capacity magazines or devices that enable a gun to fire rapidly are not arms, they're accessories. So we would certainly have a right to ban those things. Do you think that makes constitutional sense? I don't think it makes any more sense than to go and say you can ban the barrel of a gun or you can go and ban, uh, you know, the the stock on the gun. They're all part of the gun that's there. And, uh, you know, if well, they're you want to go and... But they're add-ons. I mean, some of these well, things man, are... You can go and say you can go and say you could ban certain lengths of barrels or something like that. I'm man. just saying you want to look to see whether there was, according to the Supreme Court, you want to go and look to see whether there's any analogous laws in effect at that time. And you can't find anything even remotely similar to it until recent decades. So if I may, then, what's the point of that, that since they didn't address it then, we can't really refer to it back then? It's not analogous. There's nothing that informs the current law based on what the Founding Fathers wrote. Is that what you're saying? Right. Or when the 14th Amendment was passed. I must say that the idea that they used a musket and it took 30 seconds to reload, it was a completely different kind of gun, and they did not anticipate not the, true. the sort of guns that That's we have true. today. They, they had pocket guns back then and other things that were similar to semi-automatics. The other point that is frequently made in this case isn't so much about the uh, add-ons, but rather what's a common weapon. 
And so I, I think we all agree that you can't have a machine gun, you can't have a bazooka. So can you have an M16-style rifle? Is that sufficiently okay. common, especially in the name of self-defense, that we should allow people to have it? The state is arguing that you can't. Okay. What's your take on that? Well, I mean, so you're talking about something like an AR-15. Yeah. The thing is, okay, when you said style, that's pretty much the key word there. You know, they're not talking about how the gun functions because an AR-15, you know, about 85% of the guns in the United States are semi-automatic guns, all right? Uh, And, you know, they fire one bullet per pull of the trigger, uh, it reloads itself, and an AR-15 is a small caliber uh, rifle. It's a tw- you know a little bit over a 22 caliber round mm-hmm. that's there, which is about as small as you know normally used. But AR-15s themselves are the most commonly owned rifle in the United States. So you know I don't know what they want to go and talk about uh, in common use, but you know as a class of weapons, almost all the guns in the United States are semi-automatics. And so they want to go and pick a few, uh, or not a few, actually a, a, a list yeah. of of semi-automatic uh, guns and ban them. But look, let's say you were going to ban all semi-automatic rifles. What's the alternative? Since you mentioned the safety issue, the, the alternative is a manually loaded gun where you have to physically yourself put another round in the chamber after you fire. And the thing is, if you have, to, if you're using a gun in self-defense. And you have to fire more than one round because you have multiple criminals attacking you or you fire and miss or you fire and wound, but don't incapacitate the attacker. You may simply not have the luxury of time. Well, we do allow for 10 rounds. We will allow for 10 rounds, but you can't have clips that go beyond that is my understanding. No, I'm just right. No, but my point was if you're going to ban some semi-automatic guns, at least, you know, be logically consistent and ban them all. I got it. I got it. I got it. Dr. John Lott is the president of Crime Prevention Research Center. Uh, you can follow them at crimeresearch.org, crimeresearch.org. Dr. Lott, I appreciate your time today. You and I aren't in the same place on this, but we wanted to hear you out. We appreciate your thoughts. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it.